while people are settling in, I want to check on the sound. Is it too loud? No. So I'm not sure if you can see in the back, but someone has given me my greatest love and my arch nemesis. As a little gift, thank you. It gives me something to work with, even just knowing they're there. <laughs> All right. All right. <laughs> My old friend, the enemy. <laughs> so we're going to start today by chanting the refuges and precepts. And uh, you might know them by heart now, if not... Um, we'll do them in Pali. Um, so it was on one piece of paper. If you have either one of them, the other's on the other side. And we're just going to talk a little bit more about going into the eight precepts during the five precepts so it's a little more clear what, um, why that could be a wise choice, maybe why that might not be a wise choice. So the first five precepts are really about uh, not causing harm by stealing or by physically harming or by betraying someone's trust, using harsh language or false language. The fifth precept weakens the mind by making it cloudy with intoxicants. And that's important also so that we don't fight our sober mind and what it has to do to wake up, but also that we're more likely to transgress uh, these harming precepts. So those are the classic five precepts. And then we have a, a chance to practice with three more, and they're usually done by lay people during periods of practice. And it might be done uh, for one day on the full moon and on the new moon. And people would uh, come to wherever their practice center was, and they would chant the eight precepts. So of these three extra precepts, one of them is not to sleep on high and lofty beds. Um, since you can't change out your bed, and the beds you have are not the highest and loftiest <laughs> you've known. <laughs> it's sort of uh, the idea that one is not to overly indulge in sleep. Now, Overly indulge means sleeping in half a day, not because you're tired or it actually heals your body, but just because it's cozy and pleasant, and you can be kind of unconscious in the cozy and pleasant pleasantness. So it's really that's more what the precept to support your practice will do is not to sleep on a higher lofty bed, but since you don't really have any choice, your beds aren't that high lofty. It's to rest yourself, love yourself, rest yourself, but not reach for unconsciousness in overly indulging in sleep. And you get to explore that. And you all are exploring that anyhow. So you could chant the sixth precept if you wanted. Um, but they're usually done in a grouping. So usually people stop at five or go all the way through eight. The seventh precept is about not taking food um, at inappropriate times, and that can look that can look different ways. One is the simplicity. If you can, uh, after the noon meal, see what it's like to not 
need another meal. Um, and not everybody can do that. And that's not balancing for everybody. Uh, but some people find that with meditation, not burning as many calories, not being so busy, there is not the same amount of need for the same amount of food. Um, so there's a great simplicity when you eat after your noon meal. The next vastly entertaining thing is breakfast all the way into the next day. So then you don't have a big distraction. You don't have another meal to metabolize. Uh, you don't have to face all the jangliness of going down for the meal. And so it simplifies things. And it maps on to a monastic schedule where people would collect the food in the morning and then not go back into town looking for another meal. So the way it would support your practice is that uh, you might find it simplifies things. You might find that your body can get used to two meals a day and surprise yourself that you actually don't need this third meal. You can also practice with the seven precepts by uh, just not going back for seconds if it, seconds are entertaining or you're getting, I'm not hungry, but I still have this old primal sense. I need to get as much in me as possible. So for entertainment's sake or for scarcity's sake, we might be eating more than we need to and that will make us sleepy in our practice. So what's the right relationship to food? And if you take the seventh precept, you are looking to experiment with food and looking to experiment with not eating uh, a, a meal after the lunch meal. So you can think about that. That's right for you. Oh, I got it backwards. So the eighth precept is about the high lofty beds. The sixth precept... Um, Ooh, I got it all. Sorry, they're, they're not lined up with the English across. So sorry about that. Maybe you don't care about the exact numbering. One of the other of, the <laughs> <laughs> of these three extra precepts um, is to refrain from dancing, singing, music, unseemly shows uh, from garlands and perfumes and... I don't even know what that English word is. Uh, uh, it's in the perfumes and garlands category. Um, it's from things that tend to beautify and adorn the body. So there's no uh, statement against those things, but during a period of practice in renunciation, we could challenge the way that we're trying to present ourselves to ourselves in uh, an adorned way. And to see who am I, what is this body as it is? And who am I without the adornments? And also external um, entertainment, to let that go. I know that there's so much here that you have to let go in terms of external entertainment, just in case somebody was doing something entertaining in the lower walking room. <laughs> and they did it every day at four and a little crowd gathered. We'd actually have to let that go. But there again to support practice. So these next three are ways, subtle ways that we can renounce the right things to help support the way our practice uh, is unfolding. So no high and lofty beds, no uh, external attention uh, seeking. 
and uh, not eating or looking at your relationship to food. If you at all have um, an old tension with food and even hearing this inactivates that uh, anxiety you have around food and taking care of yourself, it's just not a supportive practice to take on. But if you've never looked at it or if you want to experiment with it, um, I suggest playing with it. And all you have to do for this uh, food precept is that there's a sheet of paper right in the dining hall, right as you enter the dining hall, usually on that cork board. And the cooks just want to keep track of how many people would be eating the dinner or not. If a bunch of you decide not to, then they have an accurate count. And if you decide this isn't for me, you don't even have to tell us. Uh, You just have to erase that mark or get the right count down in the dining hall. So, and you could go off and on if you wanted, but you might try it for a few days, see if it works for you, see if it's supportive. If it is, you try it for a few more days. You could already kind of like, I'm taking this on, I'm really going to see the challenge of it. Or you might intuitively say, yeah, I don't think that's for me. You know, there's a time in my life where it was really interesting. And now I know my body, the challenges that it has. And that's, uh, that wouldn't be so supportive for me right now. If you have any questions about that, you can ask them in the question basket or during your check-ins with your uh, teachers. So coming to the chanting, we're going to chant the refuges and then the precepts. We're just going to go through um, and chant them in the Pali. So join in. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato sama sambuddhasa. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato sama sambuddhasa. Namo tassa bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambuddhasa Buddham Saranam Gachami Dhammam Saranam Gachami Sangam Saranam Gachami Dutiampi Buddham Saranam Gachami Dutiam pidamam sarnam kachami. Dutiam pisangam sarnam kachami. Tatiam pibudam sarnam kachami. Tatiam pidamam sarnam kachami. Tatiam pi sangam sarnam kachami. In beginning, Panati pata ve ramani sikapadam samadhiyami. Adina dana. We Ramani Sikapadam Samadhyami 
Abrahmacharya Ve Ramani Sikapadam Samadhyami Musawada Ve Ramani Sikapadam Samadhyami Sura Maria Majapamadatana Ve Ramani Sikapadam Samadhyami we kala bojana, we ramani sikapadam samadhyami. Nacha gita wadita visuka dasana malaganda vilipana dharana mandana visubhusanatana. We Ramani Sikapadam Samadhyami Ucha Sayana Mahasayana We Ramani Sikapadam Samadhyami Idam Me Silam Magapalanyana Sa Pachayo Hotu Now coming into our mindfulness practice today. Still working with your primary area of attention, what we call your anchor or your primary approach, whether that's body, breath, or sound. Some people have other ways that they do their primary mindfulness practice. And then today we want to add in light curiosity about whether the tone of any present moment is pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. And if you ask that question and it's not obvious, it's likely neutral, because neutral really stands for neither pleasant nor unpleasant. So if you're digging around too long, you're probably looking for something when you could just say, must be fairly neutral. You don't have to get it spot on. The question is more important than nailing the answer because you're bringing curiosity to the topic. You might find that there are parts of your experience that are pleasant, parts that are unpleasant, parts that are neutral. In that case, you don't have to say all three. You can just non-verbally recognize this part is unpleasant, this part is pleasant. This part is neutral. And open up that inquiry. So we want to strengthen this foundation of mindfulness, at least knowing concurrently pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. Then you might be able to look at the actual experience itself of unpleasantness. And it's a little bit like eating a, a brownie and then the person who makes the brownie says, can you taste the cardamom? And it's like, ah, I'd have to really like go past the obvious chocolate to taste the cardamom. But you want to see if you can put your mindfulness on unpleasantness as an experience. It can be subtle, 
but see if you can, what is neutrality when you're having a stream where the Vedna is neutral or you're having a stream where the Vedna is pleasant? Can you actually uh, take interest in pleasantness or unpleasantness? Less on the reactivity and less on the object, but more if you can tease out this is unpleasantness, this is pleasantness. What is that like as a direct experience? And then see if Vedna is consistent and therefore reliable, or if Vedna is changeable and not consistent as much as we were, our less conscious mind uh, might say. So these are some explorations of Vedna and uh, it keeps going deeper and more subtle. So allow yourself to get to know Vedna on where it's obvious and then see if it becomes something you are curious about, both of the body or any of your sense doors. Is this thought pleasant? What is the pleasantness around this thought? Unpleasant, neutral, any of your sense doors really. So with that said, come into a posture that allows your body to be at ease. And you all might be developing your own arrival practice. What helps you come into the right approach to practice? Like that record needle, just trusting the moment of the record that it's touching. And yet that is where all the music happens. We want to just touch the simple present moment and let the present flow and change and see if we can be satisfied and simple enough to be with whatever is actually happening in the present. That's not something we can exert our way into. It's really resting into letting that rest simplify us and then let curiosity and intimacy with the flow of the simple present be what uh, invites our mindfulness into the stream of what's happening.
And then it's helpful to have a way of guiding your attention in a primary way, whether it's with your breath, a body scan, an awareness that you have a body, or sounds. If you can lightly guide the stream of your mind into a familiar meditation, And in looking around in the stream of your practice right now, does anything stand out as pleasant? Be anywhere on the spectrum of mildly pleasant, clearly pleasant, Very pleasant. And can we breathe in and out with whatever we're experiencing? You might not have a pleasant experience. And that might be stressful because you have to look harder. It might be disappointing. You might have something that is mildly pleasant, therefore hard to see. You wish it would become more pleasant. You might have something that's clearly pleasant. What is this pleasantness? And does it come with a reactivity? Wanting something that isn't there. Wanting something to be stronger or last longer. Does it come with a story about yourself? I never feel pleasure. I feel pleasure. That makes me special. 
I finally feel pleasure? Or is it just pleasantness in the stream of now and breathing with it open-handedly? Later on, you can continue with that as a mindfulness practice, heightening your awareness and sensitivity to pleasant Vedana, seeing how it operates, how it arises, how it changes, how it disappears. Also invite you to look in the stream of the simple present. And is there anything in the stream that has a tone of unpleasantness? Mildly unpleasant, just that you don't prefer it. Very unpleasant, starting to be painful. And can we breathe with it? Allow it to be a part of the stream and breathe down any unconscious reactivity or old reactivity. Could it just be unpleasantness?
Can we soothe the suffering even though we might not be able to stop the unpleasant nature of a pain or a sound or a thought? There might be some unpleasantness that remains. Or we might be able to skillfully lower our suffering around it. Calming our reactivity, the energetic ball of stories, futurizing, Sometimes there's so much habitual reactivity that we can hardly be mindful of what's likely at the core of it because there's so much protective and inflamed reactivity. So that's what we breathe with, what we recognize. And every now and then, we might see that all of the unpleasantness is actually in the reaction that at its core, it's the experience of coldness on the skin or sharpness in the body or an ache in the body. or unpleasant mental content. And then much of what we were calling unpleasant was in the strain of having to experience it at all. These are many possibilities with Vedana. Many things to explore inside your own stream of experience.
later on you can explore this longer or shorter as your own experiment. Let's see what it's like now to come into the stream of your experience and find part of your experience that has a neutral tone that doesn't come with pleasure or pain. It might be familiar body sensations or your contact with the chair or the floor. Often there is a lot of neutral and we don't notice it as our attention is pulled and strained between pleasant and unpleasant. You might notice parts of your back are neutral, the outside of your arms hanging down or resting, the neutrality of your legs. The neutrality of your clothes touching your body. the neutrality of a quiet mind. Sometimes the challenge with neutrality is there's no there there. There doesn't seem to be a secure place to align with. It's not giving off charge. That can even either make it difficult to attend or it might invite us into a place with less drama. These neutral places are not pleasing. They're not painful. They're not entangled with our preferences. They're often patiently overlooked. 
Maybe there's a beautiful reuniting with huge parts of yourself. as we become mindfully intimate with neutral experiences, do they remain neutral? Or do we start to feel subtle pleasure and pain in the neutrality? Does the neutral become something pleasant? Is it pleasant and neutral at the same time? Pleasant maybe because it's relieving. You can overdo these investigations. We also can keep it really simple. Just do your simple primary practice. Feel the Vedana flowing within your simple practice. And then if your attention is drawn out of your simple practice. You can notice that. And sometimes you might notice that Vedna was a part of how your attention was drawn. So the pacing of that is gentle, relaxed. lightly, analytically curious to see the moving parts, but not straining. If investigating Vedana has made your practice complex or brought in too many concepts, please release that and be satisfied with a simple primary 
practice of ease and presence. We'll be curious when we have our practice discussions what you're noticing around these three Vedanas. If you can breathe with them. And if you're noticing how the mind behaves with these Vedanas, just very open-handed, letting them come and go. Or if that is part of why the mind has some agitation and trying to manage the stream of the present. This is the laboratory. I used to say laboratory until I heard a French Canadian say laboratory. I said, oh, I like laboratory. <laughs> so I have some questions from, that people have left in the basket that seem relevant for today. Uh, one of them is it okay to cry in the hall? Yes, it is okay to cry in the hall mindfully. So <clears throat> you may end up not being mindful, which is also okay because we are often not mindful. The mindfulness is not there to control it. The mindfulness there is to be inside of it. And sometimes we have to be inside our sorrows and that is part of how we learn and how we release and understand. So if tears come, see if you can breathe with them while they come. And you can talk with your uh, teachers if something really powerful is coming up.
around that, but it's not against our decorum to cry in the hall. Uh, sometimes when I hear my neighbors giggling, it makes me giggle. And sometimes when I hear them weeping or breathing heavy, it does bring up empathy, which I'm grateful for in my own heart. Like, oh, that's nice to be next to you and offer you some support. But we let each other have our tears here. We don't try to fix somebody who's crying. There were a few questions about um, walking meditation. So one of them was uh, many people who find balance in the containment of sitting, like sitting, and then have a disappointment or don't quite see the point of the walking because practice feels so balanced and contained in the hall. And then when they go walking, it always feels like a second-rate uh, meditation. Some people find balance when walking and have their stressful relationship is to the sitting practice. And either way, it's a moment of your life, whether you're sitting or walking, to be intimate with. And to find how intimacy can come up in that moment of your life. So how could intimacy bubble up in walking? If you're trying to make it like sitting, that would be to apply an agenda to walking that isn't fair to walking. When we're walking, because we have our eyes open and we are very visual beings, we will take in a lot of data through our eyes, even though we're trying to be embodied. So you don't want to fight that. So you might come to walking and just stand for a little bit and use the stillness of standing to be oriented to the sounds, the temperature of the day, the beings walking around you, and then find there's a pleasantness. It's not like being in the hall, nor should it be like being in the hall. It's just, oh, I'm here now. And now what is it like to take a step? And if you discover the supportive attitude of walking. It doesn't become like sitting, but it becomes interesting because it is a moment of your life. And we want to eventually, like butter coming into a, an English muffin, finding all the nooks and crannies. We do a lot of walking in our daily lives or a lot of movement. And we want to be able to find how can we be in that stream? How can we stream in that? But it won't be by making it look like sitting practice. It'll be about discovering mindfulness in the walking. You might find that, oh, there's more beauty, there's more openness. I can explore parts of mindfulness when walking. There's not as much social pressure as sitting still. Uh, so then there are, there are benefits out there in walking. But some people uh, do try to make it more than it is or make it something other than it is. So you might practice more standing just to find that balance point. This is me still in a posture. You could stand with your back against something so that you can regroup in what your body feels like. And then you open your eyes and you could close your eyes again and open your eyes. It's like, oh, I see where the body is with my eyes open. 
and it's a little more challenging to track. But then when I move it, there's more sensations. And that's what I'm going to lightly track, is those body sensations with my eyes open. How do I withdraw my attention from my eyes? Not by fighting, seeing, but maybe look around a little bit until it's familiar and then it doesn't pull as much. If you want more help with that, bring it up in your uh, meeting with your teacher. We recommend taking a few steps back and forth, something between 10 and 20. Uh, 10 often feels a little short for me. Um, so I tend to like 15 to 20 steps, turn around, come back, turn around. The nice thing about doing 20 steps back and forth, 15 steps back and forth, is that you can lose the sense that this walking is an efficient way of getting somewhere. And that's a nice habit to break down. So when you're walking anywhere, you're not walking fixated on the goal and the walking is something just to get through because you want to get where you're going. You'll still get where you're going, but each moment as a step along the way is not to be discarded. So walking not only gets you somewhere, but the way you get there is through a stream of present time experiences. And walking back and forth allows you to invest in steps at a time where sometimes if you go for a long walk, you lose a reminder to help each step be precious. So if you were to go on a half mile walk, at some point you don't have a reminder, but when you stop and turn around, it's a reminder. Let's see if I can take these 20 steps without a major mind wandering. Let's just see if that's possible. The speed is not important. Some people, many people find that slowing down a little bit is helpful. And if you walk too fast, the mind has a habit of speeding up with the sensory input of walking fast. But at some point we will walk fast and we'll have to learn how to be mindful when walking fast. But for the most part, what happens on a long retreat like this is slowing down does match some of the sensitivity we're opening up to. So generally people tend to slow down. Some people want to do more exercise. And so if you were going for a run, that would be your mindfulness practice. And it's to find what mindfulness looks like even when running. And your inner stream of experiences, can you find some approach that supports your presence? If you have more questions about this, bring it up in your practice meeting. <laughs> we'll just, I won't keep saying that. We'll just make that an assumption. Your question is about um, thoughts on practicing, practicing with sense door collaboration. For example, chewing, the sounds of chewing while also tasting uh, one's food. So that's often what our mind is doing, is it is taking information from six sense doors and then telling one story where that all makes sense. And that is generally helpful for orientation, but we also could relax the need for the mind to render everything through one narrative that makes sense. 
So it actually is an exertion of the mind to hear chewing, taste chewing, and then work in the background to make those line up. You don't have to be antagonistic to that, but you also could relax. This is hearing, this is chewing. They seem fairly connected at this point. Often what is helpful is to at times see if you can go to one of the sense doors and see what's happening there without making another sense door the enemy of that experiment. So if you track too many sense doors, you may not actually get the intimacy of what's happening at one sense door. So while chewing food, you could go into texture. You could go into the, the James Bond thrill of this tongue moving food between clamping teeth. So it's just like any action movie. You have these pounding hard surfaces, truly turning things into mush. And this tongue goes back and forth between them and scoops out food and pushes it over here, but then has to scoop that food out and push it over there. All the while, these things are chewing and grinding with the purpose of breaking things like the tongue down. And yet the tongue lives there, dances there. And we never appreciate it. It's doing this hero's journey all the time. And we're bored. Just take a look at the tongue, what it does during chewing. And also, like, I didn't choose to do that. My tongue did that. If I had to actually, like, actually do my tongue, I would bite it all the time. <laughs> so it's doing this dance. And when, when does it decide that food needs to be chewed on more? And when does it decide it has to be mixed up more? So you can just sit back and know this is just the body door, you're not even paying attention to flavor, you're just in awe of your tongue. Then you could try to go to the tongue door, the taste door, the scent door around food, the hearing of chewing of food, the seeing. All of our sense doors when it comes to food are activated. So you can see them one by one and then you could Take a view where you're looking at all of them and see the great circus show of all these six sense doors. But uh, often it's helpful to preference a sense door to really see what's happening there. And I think I'll stop there and uh, turn over for announcements. Nice to practice with you this morning. Thank you, Temple. Um, we have some announcements for today. Um, it's Thursday. And today we have an affinity group, um, the LGBTQIA plus affinity group at 6.30 in the council house for those who self-identify in that group. Um, the next amount announcement is that tomorrow morning is Friday and we'll be taking the second COVID test We'll be getting more instructions about how that works tomorrow. It will be happening in the morning between after this um, meditation with instructions before lunch. And so um, if everyone tests negative, no COVID, and the masks will 
be optional. There'll still be the option to wear a mask for the retreat, and we'll receive more information about that tomorrow. So that will be um, happening tomorrow. Uh, Francisco will be with Dana this morning, and also he is starting individual signups. And so you'll see below where the practice um, discussion list is, a place that you can sign up with Francisco. We ask that if you're already seeing, um, having a meeting with one of the teachers today, that you don't sign up uh, for a double, double dipping on the same day with Francisco. Uh, yoga is also happening today. We're excited to be um, having that again twice a day. If you didn't um, start that yesterday and you want to try it out, that will be happening today as well. Um, the other thing is uh, I wanted to say a little bit about this practice in community. And so um, we have people who come here with very many different needs and so some of you um, have noticed in the dining hall that there's another table that is for simple foods. There are some people who are here on retreat who are unable to take from the, the main food table and they were only able to eat the food on the simple food table. So what we invite you to do is if you are one of those people who are able to eat the main food line is that you go through that line and then you wait 15 minutes so that everybody who is needing the simple foods as their primary food source has the opportunity to choose from that table so that it's not a sense of like, oh, I think I'd like a little more kale, and then adding the kale in versus somebody who that's their primary food source. So please, um, if you are able to take from the main food line, go through that, and then um, allowing the people who need the simple foods to go there first. I also want to draw attention to a member of our Sangha who has been amazingly actively participating with great, great equanimity. Um, we have a four-legged in the hall, and um, this four-legged has a lot of uh, an inability to let you know when you're stepping on them. And so please be aware that in our mindfulness to include everyone in the community here, especially these times where we're going through small, um, you know, like we're all leaving the hall or we're in the coat room or in the dining hall. Um, it's a really great place to bring your mindfulness to your walking and to remember that not all of us are four, five, six feet tall and uh, bringing the mindfulness to... Uh, this beautiful member, like it's just part of this animal world that we have here with the turkeys and the paying. Like I, I've seen so often on retreat where people stop for the turkeys going down the, you know, on the pathway, and just really just allowing that wholeness and just allowing the beauty of having um, Junior. That's, that's the name of this um, beloved four-legged in our hall to be here with all of us. Um, so if, and if you have any questions about that, you can contact the retreat coordinators. I'm sorry. Oh, thank you. Yeah, so um, 
the the um, the guidelines around that would be to allow there to be six feet. So you know, just we've been practicing with the pandemic, so you can you know just allowing junior, allowing there to be six feet around when leaving. So if you notice, then you're just pausing and allowing there to be space around, so that um, so that junior can leave the hall without getting um, stepped on and also in the coat room too, as much as possible. Uh, have a, yes. I'm so, I can't, what's that? Oh, it is Thursday. Did I say Tuesday? Did I say the wrong one? Oh, all right, I was wrong. Thank you for that. Um, we have the Brahma Viharas today, so there's no mindful movement. Um, you'll try that another day. Uh, goodness gracious. Today. Brahma Viharas, this afternoon, be there. Okay, another announcement. Okay. Um, if you saw Philip yesterday, please check the note board. There's a note for someone who was seen yesterday. Well, we got to... Um, <laughs> kind of like telephone up here. Um, since I'm hard of hearing, I can, some of you probably are going to get this a couple times, but uh, when you sign up for San Francisco, you'll see that he is meeting um, down the hill at the CMC, the Community Meditation Hall, and uh, he'll be meeting, you'll see a sign when you get down there where that's happening, and he's meeting outside um, by the water feature. Wow, lots of <laughs> announcements. A little bit of hullabaloo and may have some uh, reverberation from all of our talking. So may your day unfold with grace and beauty.